Hi there. Welcome again to Not About Us. Uh, this is going to be another Genesis podcast. And as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is Not About Us. Thank you once again uh, to everyone out there uh, for tuning in. It really means a lot to us. We appreciate it. Um, again, this is um, this is not about us. It, it's it's really not for our benefit. Uh, this, if anything, I suppose to us is therapy. <laughs> uh, we just it, it's such a joy sharing and loving and and just getting out what's on our hearts and and what we need to share. Uh, so, with that in mind, um, Brad, if you would like to start us off in prayer and, and just invite the Holy Spirit in to, to let Yahweh love the way He wants to love. Absolutely. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for this. Thank you for this time, this, as Scott said, this therapy. But the reason that it is therapy, the reason that it is a refreshing is because of you. Yes. And we cannot do it without you. So, Father, Yeshua, Spirit, let us give you respect in this. Let us give you love in this. And, oh, yes. And be with us. Be with us. And and if, if you will it, you take this and you make it what you want it to be. Don't let us even be a part of it if it's something that you can use to glorify yourself. But... Let us, in this time, while we are being refreshed, do our best to uplift you, to love you, to respect you. Can't do it without you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today is September 13th, 2022, for anyone keeping track. I want to warn you right off the bat, this could be a long one. I've got several things I want to talk about right off the bat. Um... I'm not even, this is something that I generally save for the conversations, but we're not going to have a conversation piece for at least a couple weeks, and I didn't want to wait uh, too long to get this out, but this was just talking about just needing to get things out, and um, this is just, this has been such a joy to me, and I just want to share this with you right now. Um, uh, I, I didn't tell Brad I was going to do this, so he's, he's thinking right now, what is going on? <laughs> my finger on the stop button. <laughs> but um, I've talked about Troy Black uh, a few times on this channel. I, I definitely, I still encourage everyone to check him out. I, I, I love him as a, as a fellow brother in Christ, a man of God. Uh, he's not perfect as, as nobody is. Uh, anyone who's been watching consistently on this channel knows darn well that we're not perfect. Uh, and we own up to it, and and this is not about us. That's We very much don't want anyone to follow us. But I was watching uh, one of his podcasts the other day, and as he was talking, I was just, what he was saying was just, I was crying and he was inspiring me. And... And I, I did not, I want to I make it very clear, because Troy Black receives visions uh, and has dreams, and, and he shares these uh, you know, from the Holy Spirit, from Yahweh. 
this moment, I did not have a vision. Uh, this is not what happens to me. I was just, I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller, and a story came into my mind, and, and, and a picture. Uh, I wasn't transported away. I wasn't, I was sitting in my bedroom. I wasn't suddenly out of my bedroom seeing this. This was just going on in my mind and my heart. And I was just thinking, oh, if I could put this to film. Uh, and, and I realized I never would, but there's, it was just such a vivid thing that just, just blew up in my head at that moment in the middle of one of his, um, one of his podcasts. And I just, when I had it, I just had this incredible burden to share it. Um, so I just want to share it with you right now. And, and this is what, this, this is the story, I suppose you could say, this is what I saw. I just, I wrote it down. Now this, what I'm about to read would technically, it's not even, it would be called a treatment. Uh, basically just explaining what the story's about before you go into a script, that kind of thing. So it, it's very basic, but this is what, this is what I saw in my mind. Uh, a Chinese girl of about 13 is being shouted at angrily by Pharisees and Sadducees. It's night, candles and fires are lit. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees are speaking in Hebrew. They're shouting condemnations and telling her she's worthy to die. She looks confused and scared. The more it goes on, the more horrified she appears. Now she's wearing modern day clothing, as in all, as, as are all the participants in the upcoming segments. She begins to scream back at them in Mandarin, telling them to stop. One of the men spits at her. We close up on the girl who closes her eyes and prepares to be hit by the spittle, but it doesn't come. So she opens her eyes. The men are still yelling, but now they're looking past her. She turns to see Yeshua standing silently, taking their abuse. Spit runs down his face. And she realizes he took it for her and surges forward to embrace him. And he embraces her back. A Caucasian male teen is thrown into a dimly lit room by Roman centurions. He is terrified and alone. In English, he cries out, asking what he's done. The Romans roll up their sleeves and get wooden staves. They approach the terrified boy and rear back to hit him. He raises his arm, screams, but nothing happens. He lowers his arm. The sound of beating is heard, but the men are elsewhere in the room. The boy looks around and sees... The Romans are beating Yeshua in another corner of the room. Yeshua and the boy look into each other's eyes, and the boy asks in horrified wonder, how could you do this? An African woman in her 20s is surrounded by laughing centurions who are deriding her in Latin. She is hurt and afraid. In Afrikaans, she begs them to stop their tormenting. They bow to her in mockery. They insult her while laughing. And then two men hold her, pushing her to her knees, while others bring a crown of thorns. The woman screams and closes her eyes as they put it on. But nothing happens. She opens her eyes and is looking directly into the eyes of Yeshua, kneeling down before her, wearing the, throne, the thorns and bleeding. With amazement, she tells Yeshua, you see me, don't you? 
A Latino man in his 30s is dragged into a room by centurions. His hands are bound. He is tied to a post or stand. The centurions are quiet and stern. In Spanish, the man pleads with them not to do this. The soldiers pay him no heed as one prepares a whip. The man cries out in fear, begging them not to do it, but the whip is raised. When it comes down, the crack is heard and the man jumps, but he has not been hit. He opens his eyes, looks forward, and sees Yeshua tied where he just was. The man also sees his hands are no longer tied. Yeshua takes another whiplash, and another. The man, now in awe of what Yeshua is taking for him, says, You see us all. An Arabic man in his fifties stands afraid, surrounded by soldiers. In Latin, they point to a cross lying down and tell him to get on. His eyes scream with fearful realization. He shouts in Arabic for them not to do this thing. The exasperated soldiers grab him and hold him down while another prepares to nail his hand down. As the hammer comes down, the man yells, No! in Arabic. When the sound of the hammer hitting the nail is heard, the man is jolted, but he was not struck. As he opens his eyes, he now stands staring up at Yeshua on the cross. In sorrow, the man says, you took that away from me. A hand reaches out to hold his. He looks down to see the Chinese girl who says in Mandarin, he took it from all of us. The camera now shows all five people there looking up at Yeshua. And they all say simultaneously in their own languages, thank you. Now, another cool thing I want to share about that is I just felt, as that was hitting me, I was just in tears, imagining it before God, and it's just I just had this burden on my heart. I just, I have to share this. I realized I'm not a producer, I'm not a, I don't have the facilities, I don't have the ability, I'm never going to put this on screen, put this on film, but I just had to share it with someone. Um, and, um, and I was wondering, you know, I, as I always do, I always do, you know, it's like how much of this is me versus how much is God. And, and as I've shared before, I play this game with God where, um, I go to work or, or where I'm listening to my music, I'll put it on, I'll put it on, I will pick the first song and I'll put it on random play. And I, and I tell God, the second song is yours. You know, what do you want to tell me? And so this morning I'm going to work and I put in, um, I hit Blinded Eyes by Petra. That was my pick. I'm sorry. And the second song comes up. It should have been me. So God, I just thank you for that. Uh, so I'm sorry, this is not typically the normal Genesis stuff that we do, but I just, like I said, it was a burden on my heart. I just had to share that. So, uh, 
at least to give me a moment to compose myself. <laughs> Brad, do you have anything you'd like to say? Um, well, when do I get my moment to compose myself? <laughs> um, well, first of all, that's beautiful. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't on screen. It wasn't presented in movie form, but I could see it plain as day. Um, and it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> um, there's nothing better, nothing better, even if it hits you hard emotionally, there's nothing better than those Godwink moments. I love them so much. So, Amen to that. It was your moment, but still, God, thank you for it. Thank you, thank you. That was, that is awesome. And it's wonderful. Okay, now, uh, let's keep this going in Genesis. Uh, and as I said, uh, this might be a long one. Um, I was going to do Genesis 8, 4 through 7. And as I was reviewing that, so much of it connected with what was to come. I expanded this to Genesis 8, 4 through 13. Uh, um, and then I had that add to my time uh, that we just did there. But um, if this gets too long, uh, maybe I'll just stop and, and cut it off and do a part two later. But uh, I'm going to try to get all this done in one shot, at least with podcasts. You guys have the opportunity to say, nope, I'm stopping it. I'll come back later. That's totally awesome. Um, but um, here we go. Uh, and as always, I read from the Hebraic Roots version unless I note otherwise. But Genesis 8, 4 through 13 says, And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noach opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, and it went forth to and fro, until the waters were dried up from off the earth. And he sent forth a dove from him, to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the earth. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him to the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And he put forth his hand and took her, and brought her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him at evening, and behold, in her mouth an olive leaf freshly plucked. So Noach knew that the waters were abated from off the earth, and he stayed yet another seven days, and sent forth the dove, and she returns not again unto him any more. <clears throat> so you know this story, as you know the whole uh, um, story of, of Noah's ark. Uh, but he releases both doves. The waters are going down. Uh, he, he releases both birds. I said both doves there. Uh, but let's start with the very beginning. There's, there's very clearly some dates mentioned here. Now, I've always wondered what that meant. 
Uh, and so I really got into that. As, as, as in earlier passages, when they, when they name a date, I'm like, what does that day, why? I mean, God didn't do it on accident. It means something. So I started going into, you know, what could this date mean? Now, we've gone over months, Hebrew months before. The ark rested in the seventh month. Now, we've talked about this. What is the seventh month? Uh, is it Nisan or is it Tishri? So, in brief, Tishri was the first month of the year. Uh, that was the new year. Tishri began uh, the, the, the season, uh, or began a new year. In when the, when the Israelites were in Egypt, ready to leave on the first Passover, God changes um, Nisan, which was their seventh month of the year. He changes that to their first month of the year. Said so now, from now on, this will be the first month of the year to you. And as far as I'm aware, in, in Israel today, uh, Tishri is the first month on the civic calendar, and Nisan is the first month on the religious calendar. Does that sound right? It sounds right. Okay. So, this obviously happened before, you know, the Israelites were in Egypt, right. much less leaving Egypt. So that leads me to believe that when God, when, when the ark, when it says the ark rested in the seventh month, that this month is Nisan, and Tishri is the first month. Does that make logical sense at least? Yes. Now, it, it rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. That's very important. Leviticus 23, 5 and 6 says, in the first month. Now, this is following the, the, the Exodus. This, right. is, this is following the Passover, which God changed it. So, in the first month that he's talking about here is the same as the seventh month he's talking about in Genesis. This is Nisan. It is also known as Aviv. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at dusk, is Yahweh's Pesach. Now, we would, we would read that in King James and other translations as Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread unto Yahweh. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So the 14th is Passover. The 15th begins a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. Now Leviticus 23, 10-11 says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you are come into the land which I give unto you, which is a whole study in and of itself. God, God is not even saying, as of this moment. He's saying, when you reach the promised land. So right. they had like, at least, they had at least 40 years before they were, this was even going to apply to them, which is another uh, thing we're not going to get into now, but it's, it's cool. When you are come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the Kohen, and he shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The Kohen shall wave it. The reason I point that out is because at, at a different time every year, 
um, there will be a regular Sabbath day, mid-feast. Uh, could it be the second, third, fourth, fifth, what, whatever. It could, it's a different day of the week, uh, of this seven-day week, um, every year. So, there's no way that I, in my power right now, can conclude this. But it makes me wonder. The ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. Now we are talking, we've been talking about Noah's Ark and the, the whole story of Noah's Ark is a picture of salvation. Now, Passover is a picture of salvation. Correct. And we're getting into the Feast of Unleavened Bread immediately following Passover. Uh, Passover kicks off the feast which represents the salvation of God in our lives. The blood of the Lamb at Passover causes the angel of death to pass over us. That's where we get it from. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was, for the Israelites, a time to remember the haste at which they left Egypt. Now that's important for us because as a picture of spiritual truth, uh, for us it's a time to once accepting Yeshua for our salvation, we've passed over uh, the, the angel of death has passed over us. We've accepted the blood of the Lamb on our doorposts of our heart. Um, now we leave the world's systems represented by Egypt. We leave sin. We leave evil. We leave false doctrine represented by leaven. We, and we flee Egypt's world, the world's systems and influences. So... This is the ark. It's coming. The ark. The salvation has happened from a from a spiritual picture standpoint. Is it possible that the ark rested on the Sabbath? I, there's no way I, in my power, can conclude that the Sabbath happened that year on the 17th day of the month, but it is entirely possible. That's, that's, that's kind of, this might be another one where I have no conclusions, things like this, but, but it's, it's cool to me if that's what's going on here. Well, and it's just God's perfectness. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would only make sense that that's how, that, that that's what would have happened here. Because uh, God is perfect, and, and even though we were not necessarily or at least the, the Hebrews at this point, were not necessarily uh, celebrating Sabbath and, and, and paying attention to all the months and the dates and the feasts. Exactly. God is. Exactly. That's my point. God is so perfect, he's tying in everything perfectly, painting an exact picture of what he wants us to see. Right. That, yeah, um, they didn't have these feasts assigned at this point, the time of Noah. They didn't have all of this. Right. Um... You know what? Something I wanted before I go on. Something else I wanted to say, and I, I forgot about it till just now. Uh, I was also listening to One for Israel, uh, a podcast, uh, and there's someone else. I, I've mentioned them before. Please check them out. A lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. But oh, I was so excited uh, by this one. And, and in a nutshell, I'll just tell you real briefly here. They were talking about the Torah, the first five books. And, and they were talking about how the rabbis, the Orthodox rabbis, really believe 
um, whether they just want it and desire it or whether they believe it's true and should be this way, they think the Torah should start at Exodus 12. In other words, the Torah to them is the law. Right. And we've all heard this talked about. It, it, you know, the Torah means the law, that kind of thing. And this guy was just talking about how we cannot separate the fact that the, the law is not what it's about. It's the, the Torah. Well, I mean, it is. It's a piece of it. But, but my point is, he said, we have to understand the Torah is a story. The Torah is a narrative. Right. The Torah is the whole thing. And, and another cool thing he said is what we miss in the English version, but which happens several times in the Hebraic version, is there are several pieces in the Torah where it stops its regular narration and becomes poetry. And um, one of the examples this man gave was when uh, Balaam is cursing the nation, trying to curse the nation of Israel, and he blesses them instead. Right. That whole thing is poetry. And and he and this the speaker I was listening to on the podcast said it's just like have you ever seen a musical where they're they're talking they're having the story and so, and the music music starts to go on behind them and suddenly they break into song and they just burst forth with this song about what's going on he said that is really when you read it in Hebrew that's what's going on in in the Hebraic Torah with these, this poetry is coming in at specific time, not just random moments, but specific moments of emphasis. And, and, and they said, we fail God if we f don't see the Torah as artistry. You know, if we just see it as rigid law, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, we're, we're, we're losing what this is all about. You cannot, and he made the point, you cannot understand the law and its place without seeing the story behind it and without seeing the narrative that God wants us to see. Well, our nature is to question. And so if we have a list of rules in front of us, but there's no why, there's yeah. no heart, uh -huh. we're not going to, we're, because we're, 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 we're naturally oh, yes. curious and we're naturally rebel. Yeah, and if we don't, if we don't have the heart mm -hmm. to understand the law, then why would we? Why would we follow it? Yeah, you know. And but when you have the heart of it, when you understand the story, then you appreciate the law and you want to follow the law because you understand the heart. Yes, you know. Oh, very much so. Yes. So these these, which connects. Uh, what I'm saying to to the law, the 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 Passover and the rules God set up for this and that and whatever, they connect back to a point before the Mosaic laws we think of it even existed. Right. And we're seeing the law as we've seen before in Adam and Eve, in 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 Cain and Abel, and, and so on and, and so forth. We've seen. Uh, what happens in the law occur in story form so many times. And I, the reason I bring that up is I think we're seeing it here. Well, and once again, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We were seeing it in story form because we were children. Mm -hmm. By the time we get to Moses, 
we have graduated. We're we're at a you know maybe we're at a high school level now. Uh-huh. So now it's time to cram and hit the books. <laughs> you know? that, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, so I, I I love that. Just never forget. It's a story. It's a narrative. It's 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 visual. It's artistic. It's it's a movie. Uh, uh, we need to see it that way. And it's our lives. Uh, now, also, I did, in the sense that, again, God is perfect, we see Genesis and Revelation. We see um, the Ark Covenant in a connection to Passover, which mm-hmm. have, hasn't happened yet. We're seeing God do the same thing over and over throughout history. We look at, we look at Revelation, we see Genesis. We look at Genesis, we see Revelation. We see everything that God does over and over and over. So, if we take this uh, 17th month on the 17th day of the month, and we move it, and we call it Tishri, which is now, according to God's calendar, if Nisan becomes the first month, now Tishri becomes the seventh month. We still see a pattern. You know, um... Nice on Passover and the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, this is a picture of God's intimate, personal salvation, rescuing us. This is the time when Jesus came and died on the cross. Tishri, the feasts that are there, uh, uh, the Feast of Sukkot, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the the, the Feast of, uh, which are the same thing, but the Feast of Trumpets, which kicks off the month, and 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 the, everything that happens in Tishri is referring. They're the fall feasts. They're referring to Jesus's return. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is a, is a direct picture of the rapture. It, you know, as the Feast of uh, Tabernacles is finally, you know, God saving all the nations. It's it's a picture of uh, a global redemption, not just personal redemption. Right. And it's where he conquers all and takes over. So it's still salvation. It's just like salvation for all of it, you know, rather than individually. So it's very possible that the 17th day, uh, 7th month, 17th day of the month, every year this could happen. uh, That could be the Sabbath that happens in the middle of the Feast of Sukkot. Plus, if you move it to this, see now, then it talks about, you know, uh, the 10th month. On the first day of the 10th month with the mountaintop scene. Right. Uh, when you go, if Nisan is the 7th month, the 10th month would be Tammuz. And that's kind of a nowhere date, at least as far as I see. Maybe someone else has more knowledge about this than me, but the first of Tammuz doesn't really say anything. But... If you're going looking at Tishri as being the seventh month, and you go to the tenth month, Tevet, the first day of the tenth month, Hanukkah is ending. Okay. So this is the feast of rededication. Okay. So um, so there could be a connection there too. Yeah. So um, those are just some cool things to, to think about, what these dates mean. Uh, and their connection to what God is trying to tell us through them. Uh, so, 
Now, another thing I want to point out. First day of the 10th month. Because there is, I couldn't, again, if it's, if it's um, Tammuz, I couldn't really find anything connected with that date in particular. So I, I dug a little bit deeper into the numbers here, and I'm just realizing I probably should have done it with the numbers in the seventh month on the 17th day, but I didn't. Uh, so maybe I'll go back and do that next time. Uh, but that's why it hit me here, because I was like, I had nothing else really to go off of. So I, I looked at first day of the 10th month. Now, this is when the mountaintops are, are seen. Now, mountains prophetically represents governments. Uh, so we see just the tops of the mountains are beginning to show themselves at this time. And 10, the 10th month, 10 uh, is represented by the Hebrew letter Yod, which is represented by a hand or a higher level of activity. And the first day of the month, the number one is Aleph and is represented by a steer head and is, is representative of the eternal God, Yahweh. So you can combine this and say the first day of the 10th month is uh, God's, Yahweh God's hand at work. Um, his activity, his, his desires are being acted upon here. Now also 10, the number 10 represents testimony. It is one of the perfect numbers in, uh, it is God's perfect law. We have the 10 commandments, uh, it is also, it's completion of divine order. It is also a number of, that re can represent trial. One represents oneness of purpose, unity. New beginnings. I mean, what are we seeing here but a new beginning? Right. Uh, but so, so we have the completion of divine order. We have the completion of what God has just accomplished here, leading us to a new beginning. Uh, so that's the picture, uh, at least that I get, when I see uh, the mountaintops were finally seen, and he specifies the first day of the 10th month. We've got a freshness that is, is starting uh, because of what God has accomplished. Yeah. Uh, before I go on, anything else you want to throw out about any of that? It's totally off subject, but what <laughs> popped into my head just a second ago is when I'm thinking about the ark and Noah being higher up than the mountains, so uh, some of that pops in my head, and this 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 probably has nothing. This is nothing, but it's still a thought that pops in my head. Is he was literally taken up to the clouds? Yeah, he was literally no. taken up into the clouds. Yeah, no, that's a very good point because again, uh, with this freshness, if you want to think of it that way, mountains referring to governments. How tall is a mountain if the waters are dropping and you just see the tip of it? Right, it's not that big. I mean, a mountain. Is, is really just a tiny little island. Right. You know, as the waters go down, the mountains get bigger. But we're at a point where, you know, essentially, God is kind of saying, like, you know, all right, you know, everything. I, he covered all. And now it's all starting, but it's starting small. And, you know, it, it will grow 
as as we move on. Right. But if it doesn't grow in him, we're going to have more problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this does. Um, as we see, as as Noah goes on, I mean, it all starts wonderfully again, but the problems keep coming back. Yeah. But yeah, he started in the clouds. I mean, he literally he he was on a level. He was on the level of the clouds. Yeah. Well, and he and just the the, the rising too. He would have he he was mm -hmm. taking. He was lifted up. He was lifted up above every mountain. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Just I don't know. It was just an interesting image that's popping in my head. I never really thought about. I mean, you know it. Yeah. You just don't think about it necessarily. And then when it hits you, you're like, oh, wow. All right. Uh, so now, 40 days. We have another 40 days. We've talked about this before, uh, representing a trial period. So we have, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days. So when, first, first off, I want to ask, when do the 40 days begin? Because what it says here, and the reason I point it out is because I'm, I'm changing my mind on what this means. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the mountain, tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days, blah, blah, blah. So I always had it in mind that the, this 40-day period began first day of the 10th month. I'm rethinking that now. I don't think it means that. I think it starts on the 17th day of the seventh month. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just quickly doing the math in my head and that, and that works for me. <clears throat> and the reason, there's a couple reasons I think this. Um, now, first of all, if, if you treat it as chronological, you know, this is this is going on. It's just everything that's being said happens in order. Then it happens on the first day of the tenth month. It begins on the seventeenth day of the seventh month. If you treat this as additional information about the original statement, um, now this has precedence. This happens in the Bible many times. We've already talked about it in Genesis. We've talked about it in Revelation. Talked about it many times where the Bible will say this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then it stops. And it gives greater detail about what it just talked about. Right. It's not meant to be taken chronologically. It's just saying, here's your overall, here's your map, here's your here's your your skeletal summary of what happened. Now let's go flesh it in. Now let's go add more detail. Um, and I think that's what's happening here. Uh, now, again, there is a precedent. This happens very often in Scripture, um, but also that. Not only does this, also in the fact that we're going to see in a second, the 40 days representing a trial period, I believe it connects with other things in Scripture if it starts on the 7th month and the 17th day of the month. If it starts at that, at that period, that also connects to Passover and the first fruits and that, that period of time uh, prophetically, but also the statement here. On the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains were seen, right? Right. So Noah can look out the ark and go, oh, there's a top of the mountain, there's a top of a mountain, there's a top of a mountain. He can see them on this day, right? 
And yet it says that when he sends out the birds, uh, at least the dove, there was no place to rest her foot. So if he sends, if they wait 40 days from this point and then he sends the birds out, there's obvious places to rest her feet. Right. So how could it be this time? Now, I had heard it when I was a child. People were trying to explain it to me. It's like, well, it's the top of a mountain. You know, it's, it's a glacial ice-capped thing. Uh, the dove doesn't want to rest there. It's not really a proper place for the dove to rest her foot. She wouldn't have sat there. And as a kid, you kind of go, oh, okay, this is what the adults are telling me. I, I, it must be right. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me now. No. I think that just sounds like, um, like people are trying to make it work. So I really think it happened on the 17th uh, day of the seventh month. The Ark Flood experience was prophetically symbolic of Yeshua's death, the resurrection of his death and resurrection, and our personal death and resurrection into him. Now, there was a trial period that we've already talked about 40 days before uh, uh, in, another, in an earlier section uh, of Genesis where they talked about the Ark. There was that trial period to see if this was real and had taken deep root in our lives. Then we had a 150-day period that we talked about uh, referring to rest and jubilee, things being returned, children of the promise taking comfort in the benefits of that promise. Now, after that, we have a new 40-day trial. So what does it represent? To me... This represents the time before you are released into the world. And what I mean is, Yeshua dies and he rises again. So there's the whole death and resurrection, you know, picture. Then he stays for a time with his disciples. Then he leaves the earth, but what does he do? He commands his disciples, go back to Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, and wait for the promise of the Father before they do anything. He does not tell them, um, okay, I'm leaving you, go make disciples of all men. He says, no, go back and do nothing. He says, you wait for the promise of the Father. This is... I believe is that period, it's prophetic of that period where we are to wait for the Holy Spirit to come before exiting the ark and going out into the world. What I believe this is a picture of is we get saved and there's a picture and there's a there's a, a prophetic picture of jubilee, of rest, that period where you know you're saved and you're just crying and rejoicing and just loving him and just you're free. And, and there's that period of freedom where you just, you just love the fact that you're free. And then there comes a time when God says, okay, now I want you to be my soldier. I want you to be my servant. I want you to be my lover. I want you to be my child. I want you to do my will. And, and I want you to give me to other people in the same way you received it. You've got joy. Now I want you to give others joy. I, I want you to give me to others. I think this is that uh, the celebration is over. 
Now there's like a, 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 a trial, a, a, a study period, if you want to put it that way, a training period, uh, a what have you. Wait for the Holy Spirit before we go out into the world. And so this is saying, are we going to rest and wait, or are we going to move forward on our own? I mean, imagine, you know, uh, how many times I think a lot of people have received that joy, have received that, and then they just kind of burst forth, and they say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do with right. this? And I think that's where a lot of failure comes in, and in, in, in a lot of ministries and things like that, uh, and a lot of personal lives, is people rush, and I've done this myself so yeah. many times. Oh, yeah. It's like, I feel like God has given me a word and I go, yes, boom. And God is going, no, I didn't tell you how to do it yet. He's gone. And, and I crash into a brick wall and I, everything falls apart. And I'm going, why? You told me. It's like, and and I, it's taken me years to learn that God is going, I didn't tell you how. You know, you didn't wait for me uh, to hear how I wanted it done. You just took off. I think that's what this is talking about. Yeah. Luke 24, 49 says, And I will send to you the promise of my Father, but remain in the city, Yerushalayim, until you be clothed with power from on high. Again, he's saying, remain in the city. You don't go out until the Holy Spirit will fill you with this power. In the beginning of Acts, we see what the disciples did after Yeshua told them that the Ruach HaKodesh would come to them. What do they do? They cast lots to see who will replace Judas among the twelve, and they choose someone from whom we don't hear from again. Right. Now, did they do wrong casting lots? No. No. Many times in Scripture, lots were cast to allow Yahweh to determine what should be done. They were actually obeying Scripture. Uh, Leviticus 16.8, uh, they cast lots by commandment of God to choose the scapegoat. Uh, Jonah 1.7, they cast lots to find out who God was upset with. It came up on Jonah. Jonah didn't go, come on, guys, what is this? <laughs> no, Jonah went, yep, God has spoken. That's It's me, and I know it. Um, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was chosen by lot to enter the holy place at the time when the angel met him. Uh, this is, the, the disciples knew this. This was, at the time, we didn't have the Holy Spirit. We didn't have that direct connection with God. So what they did is they said, all right, what does God want? We're going to leave it up to random chance. That way God will choose. If man is out of control, God God chooses. You know, that, that was the thought process. And uh, so were they wrong in choosing lots? No. Did they do wrong wanting another disciple to take Judas's place? No, they knew that Yeshua chose 12 for many reasons. Uh, for one thing, 12 is a number that stands for governmental perfection, and 11 stands for disorder, incompletion, confusion. Uh, 11, in their logical, you know, human minds, they thought, no, this, this can't be. We don't want to represent God in that way. But again, this was all human logic moving forward, trying to do its best for God. Right. Where did they fail? Jesus said, wait. Uh, that's where they failed. They didn't wait. They tried to do something on their own. That's where the failure happened. 
They just, they didn't obey Yeshua's charge to wait until they were clothed with power from on high before doing anything. So Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, represents salvation and beginning of this journey with Yeshua. Fifty days following the mid-feast Sabbath that begins with the waving of the first fruits is Pesach or Pentecost. That is when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples. And I believe that that waiting period, so to speak, is representative of what's happening now with this 40-day. Now we have another 40-day period. And that it's just me. Uh, this is this is just how I'm reacting to this. But Acts one eight says, "But when the Ruach Hakodesh comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be witnesses for me in Yerushalayim and in all Yehuda, and also among the Samaritans, even unto the ends of the earth." I believe after the forty day trial is when essentially God is going to say, okay, now you can look to leave the ark and go out into the world. Thoughts? It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense. There's a, there's a lot to process, but it, it does. It, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I'll keep going. Uh, unless you got more. I, I always hate to interrupt. Uh, if you, uh, you want to keep talking but uh no because my, my mind is not going to <laughs> my mind is now just going to jesus face palming when they're drawing lots going guys <laughs> you know it's like i gotta i, I gotta guy. wait I, I got a guy it'll happen uh-huh. <laughs> you know <clears throat> now noach sends out a raven and a dove one of the first things that hit me as i read this here is now you have what what version do you have uh, this is the institute for scripture research so it has it, it it's as bad as hebrew as you can get but still very english okay okay so you don't have i i forgot to check in king james or whatever else if it says this i'm assuming it does but one of the things that struck me that i've never noticed before the raven is defined as it but the dove is defined as she and her yeah and i'm curious about that because in mine and mine both are, can, are, are referred to as it. I okay, yeah. So that's what I was wondering. And I, I went to, um, it was the same in the uh, um, Bible Hub. Uh, so that's the way I saw it here. And I was wondering if I'd never seen that before, if it doesn't say that in King James, uh, if it just says that here. But at least in this version, it does specify the raven as an it uh, and the dove as feminine. Looking for... Oh, you're seeing if you have a King James? I, I have, yes, I have plenty of King James. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, what? I was going to grab that one, but I was afraid it would hit our camera. I have um, I have a new King James in my backpack downstairs. Well, I didn't even think of that. That's wrong. No, that's right. No, it's only two. Genesis 8. I want to say 7 starts the raven. Genesis 8, 7. Quoth the raven, Genesis 8, 7. Or something like that. Is that right? Okay, a raven is in it, but the dove is a her. 
Oh, Dove is a her there. Yep. So okay, so it does say her. I just never caught it before. So that connects, and I'm going to get into this later, but the Dove as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And now what we know as the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, being feminine in nature. This is a more direct picture of that. Um, so that made me think, then why is the raven it? Right. Because the raven was obviously male or female. Right. Um, so so why did why is the raven, why did they decide to define it uh, in that way? Also, another thing, I don't know about you, but I always got the impression as a child that Noah sends out a raven... Then he waits and sends out a dove. In fact, if I'm remembering correctly, I was taught Noah sends out a raven, then waits seven days, then sends out a dove, then waits another seven days to send out the dove again, then another seven days, and finally the dove doesn't come back. But I, I swear I feel like there was a seven-day period between every releasing. Now I'm reading it, and it appears to me that Noah sends the raven and the dove the initial time simultaneously, or at least at the same day. I mean, he might have sent the raven out, then he goes back in, gets the dove, and sends the dove out after that, but but on the same day, right at the same time. Yeah. Now, I looked into raven. What does it mean? He sends out a raven, so what is he doing here? Raven is Strong's Concordance, number 6158. And this is a really cool one in that the Hebraic spelling is unchanged. It's the same word for about uh, I, I didn't I didn't keep track about twelve or thirteen definitions or, or somewhere around there. Now in this case, it is pronounced Orabe, Orabe, and it just means raven. But it comes from 6150, spelled the same way, but pronounced Aw-Rab, and it means to grow dusky at sundown, be darkened, evening, which is why they get raven, because it's a dark bird. Right. So uh, this is where it comes from. Now, this is identical to 6148, Aw-Rab, Spelled the same and pronounced the same, but that means to braid, in other words, intermix, to give or be security. Now, I didn't come up with the definition for every single one of these words that is spelled the same way. I just mentioned these because Strong's Concordance specifically ties them in. Now, I did find it fascinating. Call it a coincidence if you want, but the... Phonetic spelling uh, of, of, in English, the spelling of this word, Arab, grow dusky at sundown, be darkened, evening, is the English word Arab. Interesting. Yeah. So, I, I'm just going to throw that out there. I did not come to any conclusions. I, I, I kind of tossed around in my head a little bit, uh, uh, but I'm not, I don't really have anything conclusive to say about that. Now the word picture of all of these, as the spellings are identical, Ayin, Resh, Beit, 
a possible interpretation I came up with was either see or be seen by the head of the house. Now, so he sends out this raven, this, uh, which represents evening, uh, to be darkened, sundown. The raven travels to and fro until the waters are dried up. One, there's a clear timing to this, until the waters are dried up. So once the waters are dried up, he's not traveling to and fro anymore. And two, to and fro means what? Because I always thought to and fro just meant he just kind of wandered around. Yeah. He went here, then he went there, then he, he just kind of wandered all over. But what it really means, what I found out, is it means back and forth from the ark to the rest of the world. He kept coming back to the ark. See, I always got the idea that he sent forth the raven and the raven was just gone. Right. But he wasn't. He kept coming back to the ark. Bible Hub specifically interprets this passage as, and I'm going to say it because it just it translates it directly so it's not like grammatically correct in English. And he sent out a raven and it went forth going out and returning until had dried up waters from the earth. So to and fro, like I said, I always got the idea that it was just it was just everywhere. Just it just took off and it was just flying all around. Right. But no, it kept coming back. Just continually. So now I don't know if that means it came back to the ark and just rested there and then took off again, flying, and then came back, or if it kept coming back to Noah and Noah kept bringing it in and, and letting it go or what, because it doesn't specify. It only says it left and it returned, essentially, continually. Yeah. So did the raven have free reign? Well, the dove, he brought back into the ark, he released it in seven days. Did the raven just have continual freedom to do whatever it wanted? If the raven, representing evening or growing darkness as the sun goes down, leaves and returns to the ark until... The drying up of the waters. What is that a picture of? And I came up with many uh, possibilities as I was trying to figure this all together. It's like, what picture is God trying to tell us? Right. Um, but I'm going to get back to that. Let's go to the dove. Strong's Concordance 3123. Uh, and it's pronounced Yona. And it, again... It means dove. Now, the Strong's Concordance says it probably comes from the same unused root as 3196 yayin, which means to effervesce, and it means wine. Apparently, and this is this is what Strong's Concordance get, apparently from the warmth of their mating. <laughs> but, now that caught me too, because the dove is a clear sign of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 1.32, and Yohanan bore witness and said, I saw the Spirit that was descending from heaven as a dove, and it rested upon him. Luke 3.22a, and the Ruach HaKodesh descended upon him, Yeshua, in the likeness of the body of a dove. We have a clear... We have a clear picture there, but Ephesians 5, 18 says, Do not be drunk 
with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Wine is also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we have here that this word dove possibly, probably comes from the same root as the word meaning wine. That's interesting. And also, I like that, effervesce, just to sparkle. <laughs> you know? I picture, you know, like a, a, a bottle of sparkling water or soda just like tickling your nose as you, you know. <laughs> now, the word picture here, yod vav nun hey. Now, one of the really cool things I saw is that the name of Yahweh, every letter is in this word. yod Hey vav Hey is the name of Yahweh. And we have yod vav nun Hey. So we have every letter and we add nun. Now nun in and of itself means seed, fish, activity, life. Uh, you know, offspring, air, to sprout. But what I got, a possible interpretation that I got from this, uh, I, there are several. Uh, Behold, the nail in the hand brings life. That was the one I settled on, you know, most. But I just, I just noticed the name of Yahweh was in this. Yeah. In different, you know, at least every letter was accounted for in this one, in the dove too. So the dove is released and returns. Noah waits seven days. The dove is released and returns in the evening with a fresh olive branch. Noah waits seven days. The dove is released and does not return. Again, this is one I'm not going to have absolute conclusions on. But the difference in the pictures here definitely means something. I'm not 100% sure what. The raven with its connection to darkness. The dove with its connection to the Holy Spirit. The raven's word picture of see or be seen by God. The dove's word picture of see what God did for you. The raven continually comes and goes until the water has dried up. The dove returns and is released after two seven-day intervals and does not return after the final time. What does all of this say? I do not have a great picture. Um, I, I was wondering if the darkness uh, represents free will. It represents letting us go and we're still darkened. Uh, we have the freedom to continually come back to the ark and go out into the world, but we need to come back continually for cleansing. I thought of that. Uh, I thought it, it just represents, I, I, I thought the darkness in the raven represents us and our sin and, and our... Uh, our need for him, but I was thinking of things like this, but I, I didn't really, these were all kind of like gut check things. These were all just pictures in my mind, and I didn't want to say, yes, the Bible says this clearly. I don't want to be the guy who puts my interpretation onto the Bible and says, I must be right. Right. These were just images that I had, uh, and thoughts I was going with. Yeah. I, you know, when, when you said to be seen by the head of the house, my first thought was, well, he's seeing both the good and the bad. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, while you're out there with your freedom, your free will to do whatever, you know, are you having to come back and confess and cleanse? And, and you know, that's kind of where I was yeah. going, we're going yeah. with it, too. That was one of the things I was thinking of, yeah. Because he's, he's seen, you know, the good and the bad. Um, he sees it all. I don't know. It, it, it is interesting that it's it, that we have a a, a, a a dark and a light. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not not necessarily evil and good, but you know, we associate those yeah. two things. The only thing I can think about with the dove, there's two seven day intervals. The dove is released. I thought beginning of the world, Holy Spirit, world creation, all the everything's perfect. Seven is representative of Jesus. The first seven day period. We have Jesus comes the first time. The second seven-day period, Jesus comes the second time. And at that point, the dove doesn't return. Because uh, it's like, now we've got the end of it all. Uh, everything is made perfect again in, in the history of time. At the end of the world, uh, uh, God's made it all perfect again. So there's no need to release the dove into the world again. We're all connected. We're all, there, there's, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, that's the only thing I could really come up with with that, too. Uh, but again, I don't want to say, that's it, I got it. I, these are just thoughts I'm throwing out oh, there. Sure. Um, might might be totally off track. I don't know. Now, something else. A couple other things, and I'll finish up here. I know we are going a little over an hour, aren't we? Already? I can't quite read it. Okay. So, well, I'll keep going here. Uh, it's like an hour or ten minutes or so. Okay. Um, Ararat is, um, it rested on Ararat. Strong's Concordance, number 780. Pardon me. Now, I will say, in the Hebraic pronunciation is Ararat. R-A-R-A-R-A-T. You know, we, we tend to say in, uh, English-speaking Western world, Ararat, like I've been doing the whole time. Yeah. Um, and it literally means Armenia. So it's just talking about the area. So you could say they rested in Armenia. Uh, but the word picture here was really cool. Aleph, Resh, Resh, Teth. Now we've talked about another podcast. Is it possible? Teth means snake to surround. And we brought it up with why did Satan choose a serpent as his form, that whole thing. And is it possible? Again, I don't have conclusions, but we, we mentioned, we, we've already discussed this. Is it possible that the serpent represents the Holy Spirit? Uh, so if that's the case, we have Aleph representing Yahweh, Adonai Yahweh. The number one, uh, you know, is, is represents what is first, God, you know, the unity in all things. Resh is first person, highest, most important. We've talked about uh, that could be Yeshua, the first begotten son, the most important, uh, the highest, the head. Because uh, it also, it stands for head. And Jesus is the head of the body. So this could, they rested on Ararat. This could literally be saying um, Yahweh, Yeshua, Yeshua, Holy Spirit. If you think of it that way. But, I just, um, but a possible interpretation for the word picture here is that Adonai Yahweh is the Most High, and the Most High surrounds us. 
So that is where the ark rested. Now, also I looked up the word for evening because of the connection to the raven. Because I wanted to see if th this was one of the other words. Uh, and guess what it is? 6153 Strong's Concordance. Concordance. And it is another word spelled exactly the same as those others we were talking about. And this one is pronounced Ereb. And we've gone over this one before because this was Genesis 1-5, describing morning and evening the first day. Right. Um, it's the same spelling as raven. And the reason I, I came back to that, because when God released the raven, you know, is, is he talking about, is he connecting it to this, morning and evening? Um, and, and, and that made me think, remember how we were talking about every day was morning and evening, first day, morning and evening, second day, morning. And then we got to the seventh day. And there was no evening anymore. Right. Is he saying, is he releasing, is he allowing evening to take place? Evening as a representative of darkness, without light, without God, so to speak. Is he, it's free will is happening. We have the right to reject him. We have the right to uh, turn on him. That That is being allowed. That is being released until the time where Yeshua returns uh, kicks butt for the final time, makes everything right, and we have no more evening. Right. The light is perfect and, and always there. Uh, is the raven released until the waters subside? Is that what it's talking about? That makes a lot of sense. I, again, but, yeah. but I can't say for certain. Right. You know. So, with that, um, we're done for now. Again, it was a lot to go over. Thanks for sticking with me if you did, but I, I just, when I, Genesis 4, Genesis, Genesis 8, 4 through 7 ended with the raven, and I did not want to discuss the raven without discussing the dove. Yeah, well, they go hand in hand. Yeah, so, so I just, I felt like I had to do it all together. But um, any final thoughts or anything before I wrap it up? It's just so interesting that, you know, you, you can read that, and, but if you don't stop to really think about it, but there, in every part of this, there's so much more going on than we see. Yeah. You know, we hear that we all, I, I think pretty much everybody knows the story of Noah's Ark. Everybody mm -hmm. knows it, but really none of us know it. <laughs> Yeah, because there's so much more uh -huh. going on there, and even just yeah, we have a we have a picture here. What are we supposed to? I mean, it's going to take a lot of thought and energy to try to figure this out. What is it supposed to represent? But it's clear there's a there's a dark element and a, and a light element. Things in this moment that I've never seen before that will now take time to try to process and try mm -hmm. to figure that out. And I love that. That's oh that's yeah, exciting. You know. Uh huh. Seek it out. You know? I, I love those moments where you go, that's it! That's it! But I also love those moments where I'm on that trail and I know it. And we've talked about that before. Right. But that, that feels like this right here. It's like, I feel so close. But I, it's not there. <laughs> right. 
So and that's okay. That's yeah, it, it is. Yep. All right, shall we wrap it up then? All okay. right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, as always, this has been Scott. And this has been Brad. And this is not about us.